Welcome to the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast, where all things football are injected right to your veins. With your hosts, Matt Donnelly, Calvin Shoemake, and Jeff Mueller. Welcome to the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast. I think this is episode 45, and today with me, we have the Tom Brady of the fantasy football world. Tom Brady's only got seven rings. My man here, James Coe, has got many more trophies than that. Four-time Emmy Award winner, multiple-time uh, Fantasy Sports Writer Association winner. James, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's great to be part of the show. I was going to start to throw in some Mark Twain awards in there and some our <laughs> moral awards and a golden, a golden Mike award there too. But I figured we don't want to, we don't want to put Tom Brady down too much. Wow. He's just freshly celebrating that seventh championship. <laughs> Listen, uh, I am very much like Tom Brady in that only in that uh, I am older. Uh, I have won a few awards and also uh, I, I like Tom Brady at my advanced age cannot drink nearly as much as I was able to in previous years. So in that, in those ways and only in those ways are, are Tom Brady and I similar. That was probably <laughs> the roughest celebration I've ever seen. Like Aaron Rodgers' beer chugging was bad enough, but yeah. watching Tom Brady stumble out and need to be held up. I know we, we've all been there at some point <laughs> in our lives. We've always needed someone to kind of hold us up when we're kind of going down. So I'm glad he has got a good, uh, social network of friends around him, but come on, Tom. If I if I could defend Tom Brady for one second, though, have you guys ever like gotten drunk on a boat? It's a I don't know what for whatever reason it's a different ball game, man. Like drinking at like your local watering hole versus drinking like on like a watercraft for whatever reason. Like when you get on dry land, I, I feel that. Like you drink and then you get on dry land, you're like, whoa, I am drunk. So for me personally, I, I don't drink anymore, but I get motion sick very easily. So if I'm on a boat, I'm probably already feeling like I'm right. half in the bag as is. Right. So right. you put a few of those beverages <laughs> in. It's it's pro. I, I can I can see where you're coming from here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so let, let's kick this off for the people that are watching here. Uh, right off the get go, we've got some quarterback uh, carousel going on here. We've got. News on Watson. We've got Wentz now signing in Indianapolis. Stafford going to Los Angeles. Uh, Dak Prescott, who knows where he's going to go. Russell Wilson says, you know what? I like you, Seattle, but, you know, if if these other four people come and say, you know, we want you, I'm, I'm okay going with them. And you just kind of put that list out there. Kind of a little bit odd if you ask me. It's like you're already with someone, but – you know, <laughs> if you let me hang out with these four people, I, I would be okay with that as long as you're okay with that. Weird there. I'm personally, I want chaos to break down before the draft. I want to see like where Watson and Wilson and Dak and probably Trevor Lawrence or somehow all get changed into different spots. I think that'd be fantastic for the National Football League in general. That'd create a lot of hype. What, what do you think about that? Well, it's really interesting to me because I've been saying this for a couple seasons now, but with the influx of good 
young quarterbacks. We're talking Josh Allen. We're talking Kyler Murray. I mean, uh, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, there's so many young guys. Um, and, and really, other than Patrick Mahomes, these guys are still on the rookie contracts. And now we're going to see Trevor Lawrence, who I think is the best quarterback prospect we've seen since Andrew Luck. Um, there's such an influx of young talent. It makes moving some of these veteran guys a little bit more palatable. Whereas before it's like, Hey, listen, there's a dearth of talent at the quarterback position. Whereas now I think that the talent at the quarterback position is a lot deeper. Um, first of all, you're seeing that reflected, you know, I think in fantasy, but also in real life as well. Um, and I think that's what's making moves like moving Matt Stafford feasible. Why, you know, the, uh, a Russell Wilson trade while unlikely, could happen um and i just think it's because there's so much you know uh young talent that's kind of pushing some of these older guys and it's crazy but russell wilson's an older guy or matt stafford is an older guy but it's true uh these guys have been playing in the in the league for 10 plus years so um it, it's it's interesting to me but you're right like it, we kind of are seeing a little bit more chaos now um and i think it's because of that downward pressure from the draft of young players coming up so when we break it all down, where do you see Deshaun Watson finally ending up? Where would you like uh, to see him end up, fantasy-wise? Well, you know, from a fantasy perspective, um, anywhere he goes, he's going to elevate the team, you know. But I think from a real-life perspective, I'd love to see him kind of go. Um, well, first of all, let me just say this. If he ends up in San Francisco somehow, watch out. You know what I mean? Um Shanahan's going to bring the best out of it. It's, it's going to be easily be the best coaching that he's received um, in his professional career. And, and I just think, you know, look, with those weapons there, with Debo Samuel um, and, and the other, you know, George Kittle, for example, boy, he could go absolutely gangbusters. And those guys, too, would see their stats elevated as well. So I, I'm just very excited um, to see where Watson ends up. Maybe he still stays with Houston. Houston now saying they're not really interested in franchise tagging. Um, Will Fuller, I, I don't know, man. The Watson saga is very, very interesting to me because Houston has made it pretty clear. They've made no indications that they're going to move him, and Watson has made it no indications uh, that he is interested in playing for them. Them not bringing back Will Fuller, I think, is is a big red flag too. So, um, right now, as we were to stand here today, I don't know. I think Watson's fantasy value is kind of on the slide. It's really, I think should be kind of sort of in free fall because, um, if he really is that adamant about not playing, how many games is he going to miss? Is he going to miss training camp? Um, so I, these are a lot of question marks that are surrounding Watson right now. And of course he is supremely talented. If he says he's going to come back to training camp, if he says he's going to play full season, of course, we're talking about top five quarterback, um, off the board. And then switching over to the other quarterback in Texas there, Dak Prescott, before his injury, I think he finishes the season as the quarterback one with the numbers he was putting up there with the weapons that he has in Dallas. It seems like Jerry's kind of got his foot dug in where he doesn't want to pay Dak. <laughs> Dak wants to get paid and deservedly so. There may be some concern over that injury that we don't know about because who knows how that's going to play out. Maybe that's part of the reason. For me, Jerry Jones seems like he'd be petty enough of an individual to be like, you know what, Houston, you're not, Deshaun Watson doesn't want to be with you. How about we take Deshaun Watson here, we'll surround him with some weapons, and you guys can have Dak Prescott. Oh my gosh. 
I love that trade. Are you kidding me? I love that trade. <laughs> I, know, I didn't even think about that trade, but I, I absolutely love it. I mean, you give Deshaun Watson, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, C.D. Lamb, forget about it. The guy's going to go absolutely off on the league. Uh, and then Dak Prescott, too. Look, I, I mean, you know, it would be a, a huge downgrade for him considering the offensive line and the, the receiving options, but... Um, yeah, I mean, if, if that means he ends up getting paid good for him, so maybe it's a win-win, but man, that, that's a, that's a interesting sign and trade that I never really considered, but that is, that's good. I like that a lot. Every, every once in a while I come up with an idea and then I wreck it by totally going a totally different direction and like throwing, okay, well, let's see here. If Dak goes to Houston and we move Russell Wilson <laughs> to Dallas and we move right. Deshaun Watson to Jacksonville, but we give 101 to Seattle in return and they get Trevor Lawrence. It, it's like it's seven degrees of separation here. We were talking about how to make a trade here just, just to I go crazy. It. I think we need, I think we need something in 2021 after 2020 heading into 2021, just to something to blow our socks off as far as a trade goes. And I think we can see that kind of movement. Now, we talked a little Dak. We talked a little Watson. How are you feeling about Stafford and Wentz and their landing spots? Uh, Wentz, I'm kind of blasé on. You know, I, I think I think what we saw. Look, he gets reunited with Frank Reich, uh, who was his offensive coordinator the first couple of years in the league, uh, which I guess you could argue was his best. You know, two years in the league. But I think what we saw last last year was. Uh, it was abysmal, right? I mean, we're talking about a career-high 15 interceptions. He had four fumbles, loss as well. 19 turnovers to 19 total touchdowns. That's pretty bad. 57% completion rate. That's awful. Um, he only averaged 218 passing yards per game. I, I don't. I do not understand. And I know some, you know, big media types have said, you know, he he could potentially be a, a not only bounce back candidate but a potential MVP. I, I don't see it, man. You know, there, there's a lot to fix with Carson Wentz. I think he's always had a lot of trouble in terms of his downfield throwing. Um, that was kind of sort of my one takeaway from watching. And I'm not like, I'm not a tape evaluator by any stretch of the imagination, but I've got eyes. Okay. And I've seen a lot of football. Um, when I watched even Wentz from his college days, I'm like, eh, his, his downfield throwing looks a little, look, looks a little suspect. And I think that has sort of played itself out here in the NFL, but um, can he get it going between the ears uh, in Indianapolis? I'm not sure. You know, he's going to have a strong run game. He's got a great offensive line. Certainly all the ingredients are there um, for, for success. But you know, what's interesting to me is that that offense was very dink and dunk. And I guess what I would be concerned with is, is that the offense or is that the quarterback, right? Was that Phillip Rivers or is that the offense? We're not exactly sure. I do know this, 55% of their passing yards came after the catch. That's the second highest percentage in the NFL, according to Next Gen Stats, right? And I would say this, yards after catch, that's not an easily repeatable stat. So if this is an offense that's going to be very dink and dunk, is that what you've seen from Carson Wentz? I'm not really thinking that's what it is. Like Carson Wentz is not like that timing guy, right? Like he's a see it and throw it dude. So you want this guy throwing, you know, deep outs or whatever it is. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I guess I'll be, I'll be one of those folks that will wait to pass judgment. But I will say this from what I saw in 2020, I, I'm not sure he's going to be a great quarterback, but maybe he can be an upgrade um, for the Indianapolis Colts. Now, you talk about Matt Stafford. Easily a top 12 fantasy quarterback. 
You, you can lock that in. Is it going to be a top eight quarterback in fantasy? Now, that will be a little bit of a question mark, but certainly there is a lot to get excited about when it comes to Matt Stafford. Teammate with Sean McVay. Again, you talk about best coaching he's seen in his career. Easily the best coaching he will have seen in his career from Sean McVay. Um, but let's be real here for a moment. It is a step down in terms of the pass catchers, right? Cooper Cup, Robert Woods is not Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones. I love Cooper Cup, don't get me wrong, um, but he's an, he's a, a one of the best slot receivers in the game. Matt Stafford, from what we have seen in his career, loves to bomb it deep. They don't have that guy in L.A. Can they get that guy in the draft? Maybe, possibly, we'll see. Um, but I don't think that receiver is a position that they're looking at in, in terms of a, a position of need. Um, and when I look at Van Jefferson, Robert Woods, and, and Cooper Cup, I see three guys that are real, three really good receivers, um, but not great receivers. So will that mesh with what Matt Stafford can get done? Um, again, we'll see. But but certainly there is a lot to get excited about. I think one of the things that we're not really talking a whole lot about is when we're talking Detroit versus L.A., we're going to talk about Detroit where he was playing without the lead more often than not. L.A., he may have the lead a few, a little more, more often, so less passing involved. That, that could come into play at some point. We had uh, uh, Jeff kind of kick in here. Uh, two North Dakota State boys, Wentz or Trey Lance. Do we see Trey Lance being better than Carson Wentz? Or are we looking at something? Because we've seen North Dakota State come out with Carson Wentz, Easton Stick, and now Trey Lance is the next one coming in. And from all indications here early with Trey Lance is, yeah, he's got a high ceiling, but he's got some development to do at the next level. Yeah, you know, I haven't seen a ton of Trey Lance. I've seen just a little bit of him. I, I really haven't dug into um, these smaller school guys yet. But um, but listen, if you, if you trust what the draft Knicks are saying, they really like – the tools that he brings to the table. Now, um, there were I've I've only seen two cutups of him thus far, and, I, and and again they were just in passing. So, uh, but what I've seen is I've seen good tools. I, I know I've seen good tools, but again, we're talking about development. Um, you know, in the pocket. You know, can can he make the reads? Can he get off of his first read? These are all things that um, again I, I'm not exactly sure, but certainly the the scouts have liked what they've seen. Uh, from Trey Lance. So I'll go with them, man. Like, you know, for me, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be the guy that says I know more than this other dude. No, I, I'll go off of what they're saying. And if they're saying they see the tools, Hey, listen, um, they got to be there. So, um, uh, you know, I think the only thing that ever comes into question is, does it translate from a mental standpoint? Can he do the, does he have the mental processing speed when he's seeing these guys fly around at a million miles an hour? That is a big unknown. And that is certainly something we're going to see. Speaking of the unknown, we talked about Russell Wilson here as well. And what's not known is where he's going to be in 2021. I would bet Seattle, it's going to be tough for him to get out of there. But we've got, I think he said Dallas is an option. New Orleans would be an option. I don't see New Orleans there with the cap. They're going to have to do some weird things to make that work. The Vegas Raiders, so Sierra could have her own uh, Vegas show where she doesn't have to leave home ever to tour. <laughs> <laughs> and right. if you have, I'm pretty sure if I go and check uh, Adam Rank's timeline right now. I think Chicago may have been mentioned <laughs> amongst that as he's well. He's in the Bears, right? 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 No, listen. I, I um, Russell Wilson is probably not going to get moved. I mean, let's be real here. But um, that being said, I don't know. Does Pete Carroll fall in love with you know one of these younger quarterbacks in the draft? I don't know. Maybe. I you know who knows what he thinks. Maybe maybe Pete Carroll's thinking like, hey, listen, we love Russell Wilson, but if I can improve the defense, um, 
and also get a young signal caller down the stretch. Keep in mind, remember, Pete Carroll is the guy that used strong defense, great running game with Marshawn Lynch, and an unproven rookie quarterback to get to this uh, to get deep into the playoffs. I think Russell Wilson was in his second year when he got to the playoffs, but people forget Russell Wilson wasn't Russell Wilson back then, right? Like he was very much a game manager. I mean, very much a game manager early on in his career. They leaned ex- primarily on the run game with Marshawn Lynch and that supreme defense with the Legion of Boom um, to find their early success. And now as Russell has, you know, kind of ascended into what we all consider to be a top five quarterback in the game, maybe top three, um, really the success hasn't been there for the team. So I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I'm not blaming Russ or whatever it might be. I'm just saying, let's play devil's advocate. Let's try to get into the mind of Pete Carroll. He's done it before where he's taken a young quarterback, a young game manager, use strong defense, a strong running game to get to, you know, the promised land. So will that happen again? Does he believe he can do it again um, in this environment? I'm not exactly sure. I'll, I'll say this. Clearly the indications are that Pete Carroll feels really confident about going back to that old school way of football, strong defense, strong run game, uh, because he's made it clear they want to throw less. They want to put less on Russell Wilson's plate, and they want to get back to bully ball. And so we'll see if that works for him. Uh, Absolutely. And we're hitting draft season right now, so we're going to see some all kinds of rumors. They're going to be flying around. We touched on some of these quarterback rumors. Uh, Marvin Jones kind of hinted that he'd love a reuniting with uh, um, Matt Stafford in LA. I don't think they're going to be able to make that work with the cap situation, what Marvin Jones is going to want. He's probably going to be in that 9 to 11 million kind of range minimum. He's going to want to get paid as well, but nice little connection there to think about. Um, well, one of the things I want to touch on here is NFL cuts and how that's going to affect the draft going forward. We're going to see probably an unprecedented amount of cuts heading into this draft with the salary cap coming down. Teams making some moves for some money, trying to free up some money here. Um, and some of these free agents that are going to get cut are going to be pretty good players. Teams might be able to add cheaper down the road. Right. Is there anything you see out of that? Is there how you how do you envision this breaking down? Anyone you'd like you to know, see cut somewhere else? I, I feel like front offices are going to be more willing to cut, you know, you know, good wide receivers, not great wide receivers. I think they're going to be more willing to cut um, good offensive linemen versus great offensive linemen. Um, so, you know, I, I look at what the Packers have done. They, they cut Rick, Rick Wagner. And I know Rick Wagner's getting a little longer in the tooth. You know, he, he certainly has come off uh, of how well he played a few years back. But I still think that we're talking about a pretty good player. You can get a pretty good player at right tackle for, I would imagine, probably almost nothing. Um, and and a lot of these teams need to improve their offensive line. I, I'll be I'll be very interested to see what happens with some of these aging defensive linemen, aging offensive linemen, you know, wide receivers who, again, maybe, uh, you know, maybe they're entering their athletic prime, 28, 29 years old, uh, but they just don't fit into uh, a, a significantly severely reduced salary cap scenario. So, man, there's going to be some, <laughs> there are going to be some great players out there. And I just wonder, and I do think, that some of these veteran players 
they're going to kind of gravitate towards these teams that are very close to breaking through. Listen, if they're going to have to take reduced pay, you might as well try to chase a ring while doing it. You know what I mean? So um, I think Kansas City is going to be a prime spot. Tampa Bay is going to be a prime spot. Um, you know, I think Baltimore will certainly be enticing to a lot of players as well. So, uh, yeah, it, it's Green Bay is going to be another spot uh, that I think will be enticing to some veterans. So, yeah, man, it's going to be cool. I, I, I do think that we're going to see those top teams really attract good talent on the cheap. And it might seem unfair, but because they're so close, there's going to be a lot of veterans that are going to ring chase. The one thing the NFL has always had over the other uh, leagues right now, National Hockey League, we've seen those Colorado, the Rangers, and uh, the Detroit Red Wings teams of the 90s and early 2000s, how they would load up on talent. Uh, yeah. Detroit used to add like Brett Hall and Brandon Shanahan, like all these yeah. veterans, like you said. NBA, we see super teams, three or four players go to a team, and this is our team. And then we had that. The NFL has always had that parity amongst itself. This mm-hmm. could be the first time we've ever seen a little bit more of a separation from that first set of tier teams, that eight, nine teams, to that next set of teams. Usually we see two teams go from worst to first. I don't know if that's the case. Maybe San Francisco can do it because of the injuries they battled. But I don't see many teams, like you mentioned, good players are going to go chase that ring this year more so than ever because they're going to be taking those one-year contracts for a low salary. And I think we might see a little bit more of a separation in there. It's going to be harder for those smaller teams, unless they draft extremely well, to compete with the bigger teams. Now, anything changes on any given Sunday. We know that, but it's it's very, it's definitely an interesting topic to be talking about right now. I think the Rams are going to be a really enticing landing spot too, because first of all, LA is a great place to live. I live in LA, so I'm biased, but LA is a great place to live for, you know, these players are looking at places where they're going to raise, um, you know, their families, you know, or if you're a young guy, you got to love, you know, the, the nightlife of LA. Right. Um, and now that they add Matt Stafford, they've got Aaron Donald, a defensive MVP. This is a team that's actually relatively close. You know what I mean? They've got Sean McVay, who I think is is one of the most well-respected coaches in the NFL. So I, I think LA will be a prime landing spot. And you mentioned their salary cap situation, how they are absolutely in salary cap hell. Well, listen, when when players become available, guys can restructure. I do believe that L.A., if they're smart about it, can field a team this year and next year that will be highly, highly competitive um, at, at, a, at a rate that you would not expect. So if they can add some pieces, I do believe that L.A. will be um, a, an enticing landing spot for a lot of these free agents. Absolutely. And if they can get Andrew Whitworth back there, solidify that veteran presence on that line, is he going to retire? Is he going to play another year? Who knows? But he's a big part of that offensive line there in Los Angeles and how that's going to kind of function going forward. I know Matt Stafford's going to have a lot to say in Whitworth coming back. I'm sure he's already been on the phone with him. Hey, Andrew, what's going on? You coming back to protect me? I mean, that's the problem, though. I I mean, listen, Whitworth is one of the most well-respected left tackles in the game, and he's a great player. But clearly... He is an older player, and I don't know how much longer his body's going to be able to hold up. We saw it break down last season. So, yeah, do the Rams want Whitworth? Yes. But at what price? I think Rick Wagner, I just mentioned Rick Wagner. I think he's a great, he would be a great fit with L.A., solidifying the right side opposite Andrew Whitworth. But, again, we're starting to talk about an older team, um, and that does get a little bit scary, uh, especially in the NFL. So, Okay, we're done talking football now. 
We 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 we, <laughs> okay. we got our we got our little bit in there. Uh, one of the okay. questions we ask everyone who comes on the show, just to kind of break the ice here a little bit. If you were uh, a wrestling superstar in the '80s, '90s, and you were coming out to the ring, or a closing pitcher like Vaughn for the Cleveland Indians coming out with a little bit of wild thing in the background, what is your <laughs> intro theme? What are you coming out to? What where are you going to get that pop from? I don't know, man. Like I feel like I feel like um, a little Rage Against the Machine would be a, a good hit. You know what I'm saying? I, it's funny because like I'm a hip hop guy, so like my favorite song of all time, still to this day, is is still Dre by Dr. Dre. I just don't feel like that's what would hit though, right? Like, and I am a Rage fan, so like I feel like if I threw a little, you know, Rage um, out there, it would get the fans a little riled up, man. Uh, that's what it's about, right? It's about getting the fans going on. <laughs> I, I kind of joked about this. I'm like, I think I would be that person that would have like a different theme every 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 time I came out, just just to mess with people. No, but, man, uh, you can't do that. No, 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 no. You can't do that, man. Like, think about it. Like, I, I'm wearing a Stone Cold Steve Austin shirt right now. Like, when that glass breaks, you know what's going down. You know what I'm saying? You can't change it up on the fans. You know what I mean? Like, like when that tombstone bell hits, you know what I mean? Like, you know, okay, it's like, oh, man, we're about to get into some business. You know what I mean? So, no, man, Matt, you cannot change it up, bro. You got to stick with what works. Well, I'll tell you what, that tombstone, it, it still gives me chills. I'm not even, I don't watch as much wrestling as I once did, but when right, those lights right. go down, you hear that first chill, you're like, oh yeah, here we go. It's like here hell's we bells. Yeah, You get that little bit of thing going, you're like, all right, here we go. We know what's, comp- we know what's going down now. Right. Business right. is about to pick up, so to speak. Right. Uh, I got a little something here special. I, I know you remember this very well. Um, this goes back to your NFL Network days, so I'm going to cue this video here. A little memory lane. Fantasy freaks and geeks. He is the macho man, Ranky Savage. Oh yeah, the cream always rises to the top. Oh yeah, I am Hulk Kogan. And what you gonna do, brother? Oh yeah, when the fantasy danger zone runs wild on you. Oh yeah, celebrating as you saw the fourth anniversary, the fourth birthday, the fourth year of carrying you, brother. Oh yeah. No, dude, but. Let's not talk about carrying me. That's that's kind of it's not a joke, a, obviously. I mean, but still, it's not. Dude, it's a joke. Let's let's the danger zone. Let's we joke around. Cut that. Cut. Three, two, one. He is the Macho Man, Ranky Savage. Oh yeah, the cream always rises to the top. Oh yeah, and I am Hulk Kogan. What you gonna do, brother? Oh, I'm sorry. I know. I know. Don't jump my line. Why are you so serious about don't, this? Don't jump my line. It's not, I'm not asking for a lot. I can't. I can't have a little joke at the top. That's not allowed. And now I can't. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Cut that. It's a fun Stop segment. Stop. He is the Macho Man, Ranky Savage. Cream to the top. Slim Jim. Snap into it. Come on, man. No, I just don't. You're gonna no sell this. I don't know. No, I, I'm tr- I tried to Come have on, fun man. before. Come on. And then all of a sudden, no, all of a sudden you're like, oh, but you, you're caring. Like you got so sensitive about. It. Like it's we four have a, years we of have, fantasy. We have a cake, man. It's four Look, years. We, got, we went down. It's four years got, of the fantasy. We got a little cake. Come on, man. Are you serious? Yes, I'm serious. Are you serious? You're gonna throw a cake at me? Are you gonna get? What, what are you doing? This. You know what? So tired of this. Every week, the same thing. Oh, hotline bling, rap lyrics, 
numbers. You want to look at the numbers? Here's the number. I'm number one. Danger zone, it's dead. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I have to respect Rank for uh, taking it a little bit easier there and giving you the old paddle, dazed and confused style there on the backside. I'm going for the headshot, but that, that's it's been a few years <laughs> since that happened. Well, what are the first things that come to your mind when you think about that? I that it's one of the best things that we've ever done. Um, and um, it was man, it, it was. This is how it came up. I knew, it, I forgot, what, I think we taped that in like July, but I knew in like April or something that I wasn't gonna get renewed at NFL Network. Um, so I wasn't gonna be on you know, NFL Fantasy Live ever again. Um, but Rank and I had built up this whole you know, persona, this whole thing. Um, people love the danger zone. It was one of the most, you know, engaged products that we had um, at the network. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to do a, a, a proper farewell on the show. And so I, you know, again, being a wrestling fan and, and actually Adam Rink kind of sort of brought it up. Like he's like, oh, yeah, you know, like, you know, we should do like a like a like a wrestling, uh, like a heel turn or whatever, you know, so you can like kind of go out, you know what I mean? And like, we kind of sort of didn't talk about it for like a month. And, and then finally, when it was like really getting down to like my last few weeks at the network, I was like, Hey man, um, let's do, let's do that. Let's, um, let's, uh, let, let's send out danger zone in style. And he's like, yeah, he's like, ah, I'm not sure. Are you sure, man? Like, I don't know. And, and I was like, yeah, no, man, we got to do it, you know? So we kind of sort of wrote out the bit a little bit and um, and uh, kind of sort of mapped it out a little. <laughs> and uh, and it was just funny, man, because, like, he was really, really hesitant about s smacking me with that, with that cookie sheet. And I was like, no, Rank, like, I'm telling you, I can take the bump. Um, it's, I'll give you a little backstory. In college we used to give each other bumps with cookie sheets like that all the time. And like we would take, you know, falls and we would take these fake shots across the head or whatever it was. And so we kind of sort of like perfected it a little bit. Um, we like kind of studied the wrestlers, like what they were doing, the angles they were taking with the baking sheets and all that. And, and just how to, how to kind of sort of perform that move. And I, and so I told them, I'm like, Hey, listen, we're going to get a, a baking sheet out there. You got to go for it. Like, don't half-ass the headshot. Like, if you're going to do it, like, go for it. And he's like, dude, are you sure, man? I, I don't want to, like, mess this up. I'm like, no, man, trust me. I can take the bump. Don't worry about it. And so, like, you know, it, it's, it's great. When I see that clip, every single time I see that clip, I am actually the most proud of the fact that we really went for that, that, that baking sheet to the head. You know what I'm saying? Like, he really took a big swing at me, and I really took a bump. You know what I mean? So, um, and, and the other thing too was like, I was recovering from shoulder surgery or something at the time. And so that's why he didn't go for my upper body. He kind of went for the lower body. Although I kind of do regret that. I'm like, I'm like, Rank, I'm, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Like I've done the rehab. I'm good. Like you can go for it. But he, he kind of, he, he went for the lower half instead of the upper half, which is fine.
See, all, all that backyard dorm wrestling finally paid off for you there. <laughs> who, who would know <laughs> back in college that that would pay off and be like the moment, you know? Uh, we, hang on. What? Well, hang on. We got another clip here. This is behind the grind. What has happened in the four years or so that have come and gone since then? Because that was like the that was like the ending of something great. Well, you know what happened is I rose to the top and James Coe is no longer in this industry. Nobody's ever heard of James Coe. I put him on the map. And without me, you know, I'm just kidding. Um, no, 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 no. I did, uh, breaking uh, kayfabe there. Yeah, you know what? Um, that was sincerely some of the best things that we have. It was the most fun. And it was it, it was such a riot. <laughs> I, I can see you in the back room here and I'm, I'm watching you just kind of laugh it up and <laughs> he's so great man like it's it's just so, like people don't know this about rank but like he is legitimately one of the nicest people that you will ever meet um extremely generous you know he's just the nicest guy man like and i really can't I really just can't say that enough, like, because people feel like, oh, it might be like a TV thing. And maybe it's an act like, oh, we work together. It's like, so like, no, no, no. I, I'm like legitimately one of the nicest dudes um, that you will ever meet in this business. So, uh, so yeah, no, like him, him kind of breaking kayfabe there was great. I was just laughing about that. Yeah, no, I had a good chuckle there when we did the whole thing. I was like, you gotta, you gotta say something here. We, we gotta go for it here. I gotta, I gotta play this for him. See if we can somehow get the mega powers to reunite, get James Kogan right. and the Macho Man Ranky Savage together one more time, a little danger zone. So maybe, maybe not. We'll see where this goes here in the future. Um, speaking of, let's, before we go to the future, we have to go to the past here. So how did you get into fantasy football? Did this happen as a kid, like eighth grade? You're, you are some picking some teams in the eighth grade. How did James Cole get into fantasy football? Well, listen, man, I'm 40 years old, man. And, um, and I know I look young, but, uh, but listen, I've been playing the game since, uh, well, I've been playing fantasy sports since 1995. I think I got in my first fantasy football league maybe in 1998. So it's been a minute. Um, but yeah, I, I've been playing fantasy for a long time. And if you told, and listen, fantasy football was actually my second favorite sport next to fantasy basketball for a long time. And then once I started working, and this is probably like in like 2002, 2003, that's when like, it, like the office, like, you know, environment got fantasy football more on my radar, right? Like it was water cooler talk. It was trash talk. It was, you know, when you're out drinking with you, with your coworkers, you know, it's like, it, that's the kind of stuff that you would be talking about. And then it was like, and then it was like fantasy basketball was a complete afterthought. And like, I would look forward to, to the fantasy draft day. Like I would, it was like Christmas, man. I, I celebrated fantasy draft day harder than like my birthday. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I would gather a bunch of forties. I'd get a bucket of fried chicken. You know what I mean? Like it was me, my computer, my, uh, all my compadres. We would do the draft live. It was, man, it was, it was a holiday, you know? And so I, I really look forward to it. Um, even when I started, you know, what was, uh, dating my, my, who is now my wife, when we first started, I'm like, Hey, listen, I don't care what's going on. Um, this is the day I, I need to have for <laughs> myself. I don't care what you got going on. It's all good. This day, this draft day, like that's my day. And, and so we always carved that out, but man, 
Um, so yeah, like that's how I became kind of obsessive about fantasy football. And, um, and if you were to tell me 10 years ago, um, that I could make a living, a good living doing fantasy football, I absolutely would not have believed you. Um, and, and it has been a great ride and it's been a lot of fun. I love how you mentioned that marking it off on a calendar, that one draft, we all have that one draft. You can be in 40 drafts like I'm in. There's that one draft. We got a bunch of buddies (laughs) of us that are still in like an old school, almost a standard league, six points per touchdown. No, not. We finally went to 0.5 PPR. We still have a kicker. (laughs) That's where this league is still, but it's a golf tournament. We get together for a golf tournament. Then we go do a live draft in the garage. Someone's getting a sheet. Someone's getting a sheet of drywall smashed over their head. It's going to happen. It happens every year, but it's the same thing. Like I say to the wife, I said, I get one day a year. This is my one day. If I don't get nothing else, this is the one day I got, this is on my calendar. Uh, We're doing some fishing. We're doing some golfing and something like that. And then we're doing the draft, which is that draft for you? Yeah, I've got this, um, you know, old school, you know, league that, um, that I've been with, uh, I don't know how long, but God, it's been, it's more than 10 years for sure. Probably. Yeah, well, I'd probably say about 10 to 12 years uh, that we've been I, I've been in this league now. Um, and it kind of is like a league that was kind of like uh, a different league that I was also part of. Then a bunch of us went to this league, whatever. Long story short, doesn't matter. Um, it's a big money league. Uh, we put a lot of funds into it and um, it has that those that the entry fee has grown over the years. But now it's like it's it's kind of significant you know it's like all of us are competing pretty hardcore uh to win but yeah it's like uh you know hey, listen we we went full you know we went full ppr at six points per passing touchdown um it's it's only a two wide receiver two running back setup um so it's a little bit different but the one thing that the one aspect of this league um that i really enjoy uh, that is different than any other league. You only get 20 moves all year long. So the draft becomes hugely important. And also we have uh, a fab budget, right? So there are guys who will bust the bank. I'm talking 90, 95 bucks, $100 for a running back on week one waiver wire. Because you only get 20 moves all year. So saving that fab budget doesn't make any sense. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you see these extreme moves. And if they don't work out, you'll lose. If they do work out, you're doing great. Like James Robinson went off uh, after week one, right? So like the, I forgot who, who bid up James Robinson, but I think he went for like 75 bucks out of a hundred dollar budget off the waiver wire. And, Great pickup, you know what I'm saying? RB4 mm-hmm. on the season. So um, it, that's the – it's those kind of league setups that I really get excited about. 20 moves on the season, do you realize how difficult that is? You can't stream quarterback. You can't stream defenses. You can't stream tight end. So there's no streaming in this league. You have to draft those positions. Um, and you have to draft them well. So you have to draft two quarterbacks. You have to draft two tight ends. Um, and it really reduces the the number of, of swings that you can take on flyer picks. So to me, I really advocate that. In the, and in the leagues where I am a commissioner, 
I don't make it that extreme, but I do limit the number of moves that you can make per year. And I generally try to make it anywhere between 30 to 40 a year so that you can't just uh, have that roster churn where making a, a streaming defense, that actually can be a detrimental move. Streaming quarterback, that could actually be detrimental to you. So um, I, I at least want to put a, a, an extra level of thought into making free agent pickups. The, that changes the whole dimension when you go into that draft. It's more becomes more of a value-based drafting for one. You're not going to sit and wait for a tight end because, like I said, there's mm-hmm. no streaming. So you need to jump in that first round, maybe early second, to get yes. a tight end. And then yes. probably more than anything, I know we preach this in the industry, don't worry about the bye weeks because you, you could stream someone later on. You have to pay attention to the bye weeks in this setup. Like oh, you yeah. really have you, you don't want to have both your tight ends having a week eight bye. By the way, this setup, if you want to increase quarterback value, this is how you do it. Quarterbacks in this league go way earlier and they cost way more. Um, because you can't do the whole I'm gonna pay one dollar for a quarterback. You you could, but then you've got to also then fill your roster with other guys. Um, another quarterback that, that you're also comfortable with. Otherwise, you are literally burning you, all 20 picks on quarterbacks and defenses and tight ends all year long. So it, it's, it's if you want to increase the value of quarterbacks, you have to limit the number of moves in your league to make it, to make it again, detrimental to stream that position. That's how you get increased quarterback value in your league. That's fantastic. It really makes you think. And I think the more you think when it comes to fantasy, the more strategy that becomes involved. Yeah. I think it just kind of creates an extra layer to the whole thing. Yes. And that really separates 100%. the two. Yeah. Speaking of separating the two, I got to know because I did a little background check on you because I like to stalk who I bring onto the show. <laughs> and I got to know, like, you are one of the few people in the fantasy industry that has a journalism background. You yeah. have, I mentioned the four Emmys, two of them are for news writing and the other two are for sports writing. And my understanding is you got a humble beginnings back to videography of your, of high school sports, <laughs> more by high school football. So what came first, the love for sports, the love for news? Cause you did do some new stuff. You did do some sports stuff. Yeah. I'm going to assume sports came first as a first love and news was kind of the way to make something out of it. You, you hit it right on the head. Uh, that's exactly what it was. I, I remember even growing up, you know, it's like I appreciated guys like Chris Berman. You know, like I was a bigger fan of like Chick Hearn than I was of like the Lakers. You know what I mean? Like Vin Scully. I was a bigger fan of Vin Scully than the, the actual Dodgers. You know what I'm saying? So um, sports broadcasters my entire life have been men that I have looked up to and something that I wanted to be um, growing up. Um, I remember Gus, uh, you know, listening to Gus Johnson for the first time when I was in high school or college and just being blown away like, oh my God, I love this guy's energy. So if you watch what I do and you know, like the guys that I love, Gus Johnson, Chris Berman, um, you can tell like I borrow from them a little bit. So yeah, my, my passion lies with sports broadcasting. Um, I did do news and I was really good at it. You know, like I've won multiple Emmys doing that. I've won multiple journalism awards. I, I have an, you know, an Associated Press Small Market Reporter of the Year award. I've got an Edward R. Murrow, you know, journalism award. So yeah, no, I, I, I am good at that, but it wasn't my love. 
I guess, if that makes any sense. Um, and every opportunity I could, I would try to cover sports, even when I was a local news reporter uh, coming up in Bakersfield, a local news reporter coming up in San Diego, a local news reporter coming up in the Los Angeles area. So um, that is something that I've always kept an eye on. It is something that I've always, you know, focused on and wanted to improve on. Um, and, and it's really interesting because when I made the transition full time, because you got to understand when I went to NFL Network, I was at, at that. I had never at any point been a full time sports broadcaster. I had always done either local news or a mix of local news and some sports. So I had never been a full-time sportscaster before NFL Network. Um, but when I got there, it was, it was a thing where I was like, man, I was really good at this one thing. And now I am really mediocre at this other thing. That's how I felt. That was the mindset. That was the mentality. Um, and it, it took me a little bit of time to kind of adjust my mindset to, to, you know, to, to learn how to grow into that position um, and, and kind of sort of develop as a sports broadcaster and not just a, a, a broadcaster who was on camera, if that makes any sense. It, it makes a lot of sense because I love the fact that you said you're 40. You kind of threw that out there. So you're still back in the transistor radio by your bed, <laughs> listening to the voices of your childhood. You know what I mean? Yeah. I still have, like, I'd play the football game and I'd listen to the voices. And you're like, yeah. they would tell that story for you. And you could, like, live it. And you bring that to life in your podcasting, your shows. And, like, I could turn off the video. I could turn off the screen and listen to you tell that story. But I got to know, being a Chris Berman guy, how many times, how many backs can you get into it? Back, 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 back. I know, I know. If you're anything like me, you've tried this. You've done this probably a few times. Oh, no doubt. And not, and not only that, but just, you know, it's one of those things too, where it's like, if you listen to what I do, you know, you could say, oh, Chris Berman, you know, he's, he's corny or whatever, but like, you know, I, Sorry, but I, I love it, you know, like, and, and I'd still do some of that, you know, when I'm doing my show on direct TV, like I'll still break, break in bad puns all the time because I don't know, like, I like it, you know, and like now that I'm 40 and I'm a dad, it, it works is I just chalk it off. To, I just write it off to being a dad joke and that's fine, you know, <laughs> but, but I still borrow some of that, you know, his work with puns. Um, I still borrow some of that in my own work. So yeah, man, like I'm all about it, dude. I've seen this. We you got the the latest uh, fantasy sportswear association award. Pardon, maybe with your love for Bob Ross, kind of comes into that whole thing too a little bit. Uh, by the way, congratulations again. Thank I think you. I kind of reached out on Twitter and I, I said it once Thank before, you. but it, it's truly something special. Anytime you get recognized by uh, those your peers in the industry, it, it's definitely yeah. a little more special. You know what I'm saying? Um, I guess what I'm asking here now is. What do you have in store in this offseason? What what's what where's James going now? How's he topping? How's he how's he three peat, repeat, whatever we're at here? Oh man, you know, Bob Ross was a, a culmination, you know, because I had been nominated for that award three times. Um, and on my third try, I finally won. Um, and it was interesting because I when I submitted, the reason I was so happy with it was because, first of all, it was uh, my third time. But the other thing, too, it's like I really honestly and I'm being dead serious. I honestly thought I had no chance at winning this award. The previous two seasons, I was like, oh, I, I might have a chance here. 
And, um, and it wasn't for Bob Ross. The previous two years was for Mad Fantasy, if you guys have seen my Jim Comer bit. But, um, and I felt more confident about that because when I do those skits, when I do those Comer bits, I'm like, you know what? That's good writing. That's good information. It's good energy. It's, it's all stuff that I do well, you know? And I'm like, this is funny. Like, this is good. Bob Ross, when we first did Bob Ross, <laughs> we, we, we finished the shoot. And I look at my producer, I look at the camera guys, and I'm like, I don't know if that sucked or not. <laughs> like, I was like, I'm like, that might have been bad. Like, I don't know. Like, that might be bad. And like, they, you know, and like people are like, oh, you know, I'm sure it's good, you know, and I'm just kind of like, eh, you know what, we'll throw it out there. We just shot. It's fine. And if it sucks and it sucks and we just won't do it again, you know, like who cares? Um, but I honestly wasn't sure. Like, I didn't know if it was good or not. Like, I honestly had no idea whether or not people were going to think this was funny. You know, if people were going to get it, like, I really have no idea. Um, or had no idea. And then when we put it out there and it got great traction, people really gravitated towards it and it got more engagement than, um, than gosh, darn near most of my pieces. So I, I was, I was really surprised. And then, so that's what made me want to put it up for an award. And then, but even then when it was up for the award, I was like, there's just no way. I mean, look at this group of people. Like I, I texted Matt Harmon. I'm like, Hey man, I love your pieces. I think you've got a great chance at winning. Um, you know, I think Brad Evans was up for one too, but I, I like, I just, I just didn't think I was going to win. So when they called my name, I was like, holy shit, I can't believe, <laughs> I can't believe, uh, we actually took this home. So I was extremely proud of it. I was extremely happy. Is it one of those feelings where when you put this masterful piece together, all this research into an article, you, you got stats, you got numbers, you got data, you got like the ultimate article put together and no one cares. And then all of a sudden you like go, <laughs> you, you say something silly or, or all of a sudden, like I like stickers and boom, it becomes like this huge, <laughs> huge thing on Twitter all of a sudden. And you're like, okay, really? I did like zero effort on that compared to this other piece. That I'm really proud of that. I worked really hard on, but this is what you guys. It It, it is really interesting because um, to be honest with you, it, it's, it's still, um, Everyone's everyone in the industry is trying to figure this out. Like what resonates with people? What hits with people? Um, I think I've done a pretty good job over my career. Um, listen, I'm not the best writer. I'm not the best on camera guy. I'm not the best. I personally don't think I'm the best at really anything. Um, but I do think I am good at understanding what will resonate with people. By the way, I, I feel like that's what I leaned on. You know, you talk about my local journalism awards that I've won. You got to understand, like when you're doing TV news, you're taking very, very complex ideas and concepts and boiling it down. Like I've got to be able to talk about the national economy in 90 seconds. I've got to be able to talk about a, a power plant, a nuclear power plant failing in Fukushima and explaining that to people in 90 seconds. So the amount of work that goes into that learning that you think I know about nuclear power. No, I don't know nothing about any of that, but I've got to learn that on the fly. And then I've got to take everything that I've learned, put it in this, in this ear, and it's got to come out this way. And people got to understand what I'm talking about. Well, fantasy football, Matt, I, I think you would agree is in large part similar to that. 
You're taking all this data and you're inputting it into your brain. And now you've got to spit it out and make it digestible to people. So that experience in local journalism, I think has helped me greatly. And, and that's kind of where um, I think my pieces do pretty good is that I'm able to kind of melt down these concepts and make it digestible to people. And then of course, I've got to add in my flair uh, with a little bit of entertainment too. So um, that's kind of where I take pride in what I do. Speaking of getting to where you, where you are now, you don't get there entirely on yourself. There's people you lean on, on the way there's relationships you, you forge, on that path, mm -hmm. who are some of those individuals you respect that have helped you along the way? And some of those relationships that have made you who you are today? Um, look, I, I think a lot of where I got to, um, certainly, as you mentioned, is on is from people reaching out and helping me, you know, like, I remember, you know, my first news director in Bakersfield, you mentioned the fact that I, I got my start. Um, well, first of all, I got my start in small town radio, you know, calling high school games, being a country music DJ during the day uh, and calling high school sports, you know, at night. Um, and then and then when I got into TV, when I broke into TV, my boss there um, saw my stuff at, from uh, from grad school. And at the time, all I, I was just shooting high school football. I was shooting some random video for like no, the, 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 the station for, on the news side. And, he, and he's like, and he was looking for a reporter. Um, this is my news director, Doug Barden. And he said, what are, you, what are you doing behind the camera? He's like, don't you want to be on camera? I was like, yeah, I do. But I, but I thought there wasn't a position available. He's like, well, dude, like, why don't we just make you the weekend reporter and, and you can go off from there? Well, from there, he and I built a good rapport um, and he really helped me kind of develop uh, what my story should look and sound like. He helped my storytelling quite a bit. Um, and yeah, like, you know, and then and then I got together with a really good agent who then furthered my career as well. Um, she's the one that, you know, got me out of Bakersfield, got me into San Diego, got me to LA, got me a meeting, um, at, at NFL network. Um, and yeah, and just, you know, meeting people like Adam Rank, meeting people like Marcus Grant, uh, by the way, Marcus Grant, he's the guy that hooked me up at direct TV. Okay. Like he is literally the guy that said, Hey, you should consider this guy, James Coe for that position, uh, because he's really good and he's my friend. Um, and so he's the one that brokered that meeting um, with DirecTV. And, I, and, and again, I've had the best relationship at DirecTV. So, um, so yeah, man, it, listen, you can't get to where you're going to get to alone. Now, a lot of our work is done alone, but certainly to reach new heights, you need help. Well, I think I'm going to do a little bit more research here, a little more digging around next time we come on the show. And I'm going to see if I can find these old Bakersfield country music DJ uh, videos, <laughs> sound clips. They've got to be out there. This is James Cole. I don't here know. They George might. Straight. <laughs> uh, it, that, that's how it was, man. That's literally it. Here's, here's the latest from Alan Jackson. You know, it's like, it's, I mean, that's how it was. It literally was. And it was like, you know, we're talking about like this 25 year old Asian kid on some small town, you know, mountain town 
radio station talking about you know you know toby keith and rascal flats and reba mcintyre you know it was just it was crazy man it was crazy but it was a good time it really was so you kind of mentioned those people that kind of helped you get to where you're going here. And I've noticed the one thing about the fantasy community is you're never really alone. Sometimes it can be kind of ugly back and forth, but I've noticed that I've been fortunate enough myself to be able to reach out to individuals like yourself, rank Bob Harris, slide into the DMS, ask questions, build up those relationships. Like you were talking about, is there anyone you kind of turn to? Cause you've been doing this for a while now. That's like, okay, here's fantasy football, but you know, I got a real issue here. I really want to know your thoughts on such and such. Like going back to your real life, are there, who are those guys that you can be like, Hey, you know what? I've got this going on in my real life. Who, who do you, who do you have that trust with? Uh, you know, I am the kind of person that uh, separates professional and personal life quite a bit. Um, so it's kind of a weird question to ask me because I have a group of friends uh, three buddies of mine that I've been friends with since basically high school. You know what I mean? So uh, one guy I've known, there's a guy I've known longer than I've not known him. Does that make any sense? Like I've known him since I was 14 years old, you know, and now I'm 40. So like, uh, and, years and, in the bank there. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. So, um, and, and so whenever I have issues in my own personal life and oh, by the way, like, that happens, you know, like, I don't want people to be looking at me like, Oh, this guy just kept moving up. It's like, no, that's not how this works. You know, like you suffer setbacks, uh, a lot of them, you have a lot of personal problems, like financial issues, like, you know, like personal relationships that get soured, like it happens. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like you got to find that support cast, but my support cast has always been these three guys, um, that again, my relationship with them goes back to freshman year of college or, you know, freshman year of high school. So, um, so yeah, those are the people that I lean on when, when things are kind of going south. Well, it's funny you kind of mentioned, cause you don't get into this to make money off the get go. Like if, if you're trying to get into the fantasy industry, be prepared to be broke for a while. Cause there's <laughs> only so many gigs that are going to pay right. you what you you want to make. Yeah. And I think I caught one of your podcasts there. Uh, I think it was with Nick, uh, with Edge. And you kind of mentioned it. He was talking about the business of the industry. And yeah. you have to be able to find a way and budget yourself where you're going to be able to survive on these small-time jobs until you can build that rapport and build that following and uh, eventually make those steps up the ladder. Because it doesn't just happen overnight. No. And, and you know, and, and like a big part of my coming up through local journalism was because of the financials, right? Like, um, you know, not, not saying that when you're a, a small town, you know, local news reporter, you make very much, but it's, it's a job, you know, it, it's a paycheck every, every other Friday that check clears, you know, it's all good. Um, and then as you're able to move up markets, you know, when I got to San Diego, I made a decent living. And then when I got to LA, I made a good living. And then when I got to the network, I made a great living, you know? So it's like, um, so it's just kind of being able to kind of find a path that works for you. I tell young broadcasters this all the time. I don't care what you got to do, but moving up in sports is really hard. It's really difficult. Um, you will find it to move up doing 
news. You'll find it easier to move up doing, I don't know, financial things, like whatever it is, like you'll find it easier to move up that way. Like, and I know this is an old school thought and I, and I get that there are young, there's young kids that are running circles around me doing social media and, and moving up at, at like their, their rocket ships, you know, just climbing. Um, that wasn't me because I'm just not that talented. Like I had to grind, like I had to work, you know, like, um, but I, did come up in a small business household. Um, and so I've always thought about, okay, how do I make more money? You know what I mean? Um, and I've always kind of sort of kept that in the back of my mind. Um, every move I make, it's always kind of sort of, honestly, dude, like if you were to ask me like what separates me, I think from most people in the fantasy industry, I think it's just because I, I really try to think of, of, of the business aspect um, first and then content second. Um, and then, you know, and don't get me wrong, like I'm always thinking about content, but I'm thinking about business a lot too. So um, I think that kind of sort of separates me, I think a little bit uh, from a lot of folks in this in, in, in the business. Uh, I think if I was to take your path there through the news and stuff, I think I'd be best suited as like a weatherman. So like my <laughs> fantasy takes, I'm hitting about 30% on my fantasy takes. There you go. I think I could probably do that with the weather and still be considered like a success. Like there you go. If you hit fifty percent, it's like baseball, right? If you can hit fifty percent of your fantasy takes, you're Hall of Fame bound. That's basically how it goes. <laughs> if you're fifty percent right. as a weatherman, you're one of the best weathermen out there. So that's probably <laughs> the path I would take. Where I only have to do about fifty percent accuracy. But or uh, Matt, you, can, you could be a weatherman in LA, where basically every day is sunny, and you don't have to predict the weather at all because it's always the same. Yeah, I, and I definitely have to have that helicopter in the sky because there's no way oh, I'm yeah, driving yeah. in LA. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There's, I could handle it. I could not handle that. So <laughs> that's probably the biggest hat tip to you guys that are out there. Uh, I come from a small town. So yeah, that, no, not, not for me. Uh, you kind of touched base on this a little bit here, but if you could give that one bit of an advice that is resonate with uh, the people watching right now, that piece of advice going forward, what would that be? Um, you got to create content. You know, and I know I just got done saying like, um, I think about business and then I think about content. Well, listen, you can't have business without content. They, they go hand in hand, you know? Um, so I just see too many people. I see way too many people reach out to me and say, oh, I want to get in the business. I'm like, all right, cool. So what have you done? It's like, well, I haven't done anything. Well, and then, and then it's like, oh, well, it's a catch 22. Like I need a job to do stuff. It's like, no, that you need to break yourself of that mindset entirely especially with the tools nowadays, you can write articles, you can put it on Twitter, you can put it on Facebook, you can put it on anywhere. You can write, you can do video. Think about Instagram live, Twitter, you know, um, you can do, you know, Twitter videos, you could do YouTube. There's absolutely no reason whatsoever to not be creating content if that's what you want to do. Um, and I get it. It's very frustrating. Um, you feel like, you're creating content and it's going nowhere. But what's really happening is you're sharpening your tools, you know, so that when you finally do get a job and finally do break through, you don't suck. Okay. <laughs> like you're actually decent at your, I'm not even saying good. You just want to be decent at your job, at least early on, you know, and you're going to feel it's, it's funny when you actually get the job, you, immediately feel unqualified for it, or at least that's how it was for me. 
Um, any job that any first job that I got, I always felt like coming up, I'm like, Oh, I deserve that job. And as soon as you get that job, I'm like, why the hell am I here? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, so I, I don't know, like, that's the weird paradox of the human mind, but I would just say, yeah, man, like create content. And then as you're creating this content, like you, then you start to understand like how difficult it is to create the content. Like, okay, I need to be brainstorming ideas all the time. Like I need to be thinking about this all the time. And then that's when you realize like, oh, oh shit. Like it's actually hard to do it. You know, whereas I think most beginners feel like, oh, I could do that. And I always tell them, I'm like, yeah, you could, you absolutely could do what I'm doing. hundred percent. I don't think like I've, I've said this a million times. I don't think I'm that talented. I don't think I am some kind of like, I'm not God's gift to, to the camera. Like I, I just not that dude. But I worked extremely hard to get to where I am. And so, yeah, you, anyone watching this, yes, you could do what I'm doing, 100%. Like, I've got no contacts. When I first started, I had no contacts. Like, no one in my, first of all, my parents don't even speak English, bro. Like, you got to understand, like, I had no contacts in this business. You know what I'm saying? Like, I am an immigrant, bro. Like, yeah, you could do what I'm doing, 100%, no doubt about it. As a matter of fact, you probably have more contacts than I ever did. But I worked extremely hard, um, and, and I'm always keeping an eye on looking forward and moving forward. Who can I contact? Who can I talk? Who can I reach out to? Who can I meet with? And who can I send stuff to? Where can I get feedback? Like, that's how my mind is always working. Like, um, in terms of just make the content, get feedback on the content, make more content, get feedback on the content. You know what I'm saying? And like, just keep moving forward. Um, and, and, and I think that kind of slow March for me has, has worked really well in my career. And that's kind of the mentality, the mindset that I have is just gotta keep going forward, man. I like that. I'm going to sum it up in uh, my kind of language here at the very beginning. It's like going camping with a bunch of buddies. You don't have to be the fastest one there, but if there's a bear attack, just make sure you've worked yourself so you're not the slowest one. Right. And keep working on that. And then eventually, right. you know what I mean? Yes. I think that's a, like you said, you work at your craft, work on it. I remember, you'll find this funny. One of the first people I did a podcast with was Marcus Grant. And I went back and watched that video and I was like, Holy crap, was I horrible. Why did I even get involved? Why did I even start doing a podcast without the practice? Now now I'm not as bad. I'm still horrible, but I'm not as bad. Like you just mentioned, keep working on that craft. I purposely yeah. grew a mustache just to kind of set myself. This is my business here. This is my business. There you go. I got to have there something. Go. I can't grow hair or anything, but the mustache there. But you're right. It, keep working on the camera. Do these little dry takes like you were mentioning. And eventually you're going to get more of a presence involved. Uh, you're going to get more comfortable in front of it. Same with your writing. Bounce ideas off other people. There's lots of people out here. Like you said, now is a little bit different than when you broke in. Now I could probably send an article over to Liz Loza and she'll even read it for me and give me feedback. Rather, right. You know what I mean? That's kind of where we are as a community, I think. But when you're breaking in, those those individuals are far and few between. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, oh, listen. It, it, it's the hardest thing in the world to get your first job. And then when you get your first job, it's the hardest thing in the world to get your second job. But you know what? Like, you can't let that deter you. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, I used to do, when I first started in this business, or when I first started working, collecting a paycheck, I was in sales. 
right? Like it, it mostly because my parents, you know, they own a small business and like, you know, they did sales a lot. And I, I didn't really know what I want to do with my life. And, um, and honestly, at the time, I really didn't think like sports broadcasting was a realistic goal. Cause again, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know nobody. Um, that did anything remotely close to journalism. I only knew small business owners. I knew some lawyers and doctors and stuff. And like, I wasn't smart enough to be a lawyer or doctor. So um, I just had to go into business, right? So that's what I did. I, mm-hmm. I, I did sales uh, for a few years out of school. Um, I sold life insurance. I sold like, you know, electronic um, contracts and stuff. Like it was, um, that's what I did, right? And And like this whole mentality of just like, People always telling you no, like, no, 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 no. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want. But then like eventually, like, you know, you kind of sort of like become, dis- you try to become desensitized to it and just keep looking to like um, move forward. And I think that's, again, that's the mindset that I try to bring um, with my profession. And I, I want to stress that uh, again, it's just, it's my profession. It's my job, you know, um, and that I approach it like a job. And I'm always looking to make contacts. I'm always looking to advance. I'm always trying to keep a, uh, an ear to the ground in terms of the industry. Like, where's the, where's the industry moving? Where do I need to be moving? Uh, where do I need to be shifting my talents? Where do I need to be shifting my time and efforts? Um, because quite honestly, uh, I'm, not like, I'm not like, let's say, like an Evan Silva, who is a, a grinder to the, to the, to, to the utmost tremendous writer. I love Evan Silva, great writer. And he, and he watches more tape than damn near anybody. (laughs) Right. But that's not me. Um, and I can't be Evan Silva because I just can't pump out the words like Evan Silva. Um, I'm a more of a creative thinker. I'm a more, uh, I think I'm better on camera. Right. So like, um, those are the skill sets that I'm trying to hone and bring to the table. And then where can that fit into this landscape? You know what I'm saying? Like, do I need to start talking about DFS more? Do I need to start talking about sports gambling more? Um, and if that's the case, what are some outlets that I can reach out to? What are some outlets that, you know what, Matt, like, you know what I do when people ask me about, okay, how do I get my first job? I, I set singles, doubles, and home runs. What's a single for you? Like, what would be a place that you would work at where you would be like, yeah, I can get that job. What would be a double? Would it be like, oh, it's like, if you got that job, it's like, oh, wow, that's really cool. I got that job. That's really cool. And then what's like a way out there goal where you're just like, there's absolutely no chance in hell I can get this job, but I'm going to try to figure out how to get it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's what you set. You set little you know, singles, doubles, and home runs. And maybe your home run is a five-year plan, right? And maybe your single is like a a six-month plan and a double is a one-year plan. But I have these plans and not just in my, by the way, not just in my mind, I write them down, you know, like, oh, and I'll share with your your viewers, like, I want to work at ESPN, right? Like, I want to work alongside Matt Berry. I want to be I want to be the other guy. I want to be the other Matt Berry. Eddie. That's what I want to be. Like, that's my goal. That's my five-year goal. Can I get there? I don't know. We'll see. You know, but what's a single for me? Well, single would just be like renewing my contracts that I currently have. Those are easy. Like I can, hopefully I can, I can get those again. What would a double be? I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe a double is like, being like a, a prominent figure at like Bleacher or like maybe it's just being picked up um, by Fox Sports. I don't know, right? 
Uh, but it's, it's these goals that you have to set for yourself and then figuring out like, do you remember that old cartoon pinky in the brain? Animaniacs? Yes. Yes. And, I was actually just remember? talking about that the other day. Yeah. And do you remember it was always, you know, the, the plan was always step one, something step two, something. And then it was like, or step two was question mark, question mark, question mark. And then it was step three, take over the world. Right. And like, and, and like, I feel like when people set goals, that's how they set the goals in their, in their brain. It's like, oh, well, I want to do what James Coe is doing. Like, I want to work at DirecTV on a fantasy show. I want to work at NFL Network on a fantasy show. And then it's like, question mark, question mark, question mark. And then it's like, get the job. It's like, no, you got to fill in the question marks, bruh. You know, like, how do you go about doing that? Like, you, you got to start reaching out to people. You got to start creating content. You got to build your followers up. Like, there's all these things that go into that. Um, and, and you got to think about how to go about doing that. And I know it's a little bit like nailing jello on the wall. Cause like you nail one thing down another, another piece lies down, you nail that thing. And this, this, this. But I mean, slowly, but surely you just start, you know, you start working and it starts working out for you. I think that may be the perfect analogy, nailing jello to the wall. Cause I think that pretty much sums it up in about as good as you possibly can, because you're right. You, you think you've got it, you've nailed it. And then it changes on you. And then you have yeah. to try and nail that back in there. So I love that analogy. It's probably the first time I've heard that, but so I, I like it even more. <laughs> and it's a little off the cuff, so it's even better for me. Um, we've kind of hit that 70-minute uh, mark here so far. I'm just going to give you an opportunity to just kind of plug yourself here a little bit. Let everyone know where you're at. If they don't know already, they should. But yeah. No, I, I never assume anyone knows where I'm at. Honestly, I'm, I'm always, I'm actually, even when I was working at FL network, I was like shocked, shocked. If somebody recognized me on the street, like I was like floored. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so no, I never, I always feel like I'm like the Honda Accord, a fantasy analyst, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, Oh, I know that guy from somewhere. It's like, you kind of seen me maybe, I don't know. Anyways, but no, I'm over at uh, DirecTV, Red Zone Channel. Uh, hopefully we come back for another season. I don't know, a lot of news in the DirecTV world, so we'll see. Um, and then, uh, and then you know, you can hopefully, again, hopefully, uh, find me next season on Amazon Prime on a show called NFL Next. Um, I've got a podcast called The Fantasy Five. It's uh, basically a five to eight minute uh, podcast where, you know, I kind of give you the, the whole rundown of, uh, I know I sound long-winded, but on this podcast, I am very, on my podcast, I am very uh, concise and succinct and uh, to the point where you get all the fancy ad advice you need in about five to eight minutes. Um, and then on Twitter, Instagram, you know, at James D. Coe, spelled K-O-H. And um, and I, I think I do a pretty good job interacting with the fans and stuff. So uh, I would encourage people to follow me there. And especially if you just want to see, I don't know, like, you know, kind of like irrelevant takes on on football or like, you know, or I try to keep it light and funny. I also do a lot of next gen stats work. So if you're kind of a, a stats geek, then I've got some stuff for you too. Well, Hey, there's, it takes all kinds. We we got the freaks and we got the geeks. So we, we need to make sure go. we bring it all together. Man, I, I should write this stuff down. It's stolen, there but I go. should write it down just in case. There you go. And on that note, this was like episode 45 of the Dynasty Vipers Viper cast uh, with James Cole. James, thank you for coming on the show today. And uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Appreciate your support. And we gone. <laughs>